Good morning, church. Good morning, city life. Good morning, city lifers. Good morning, visitors. Good morning, family members. Anyone who's watching this video, so grateful to have this way of reaching out and saying happy Palm Sunday, happy Holy Week coming into it now. Um, this is a great week. This is such a fun week in the in the calendar of the church and the life of the church. Every year we get to focus on hearts on what Jesus did. And so the Holy Week begins and we uh, await the resurrection of Christ. We await for this special thing to happen. And so, um, welcome. This is a great Sunday. This is a triumphant Sunday. Today we celebrate that Jesus is our King. And real quick before I jump in, I just wanted to reach out really quick. Uh, if you're not connected with one of our MC calls, if you're not connected uh, with our church, there are many ways to do that. Uh, go to our Omni webpage on our website or email us at info at citylifenj.com. Info at citylifenj.com. And we will reach out. We want you to get plugged in. We don't want anyone in Jersey City or anywhere to be alone in this season, especially in this quarantine season where we're, as you know, much more removed from one another. And so we want you to be connected. We want to, for you to join our community. Uh, really quick, I also just wanted to say that next week is our Easter Sunday. And so I'm giving you some homework. As you prepare your hearts, as you prepare to receive the resurrection, as you prepare to think about it, to dialogue with one another and yourself of what it really means for Easter Sunday in our lives, um, I have a homework assignment for you. Next week, we digitally want to do communion, and so come prepared, get some bread, get some juice, maybe even want to spice it up old school and get some wine. Uh, and in our MC's calls, we will take communion with one another. We want to remember what Jesus did for us, and even though we're not together, we can still do communion. And so let's get creative and let's do communion over our MC calls following the service next week. And I also just want to remind everyone of the weekly calls that I've been doing, uh, time of prayer, that we can just get together and focus and spend time with the Holy Spirit. Monday nights at 8 p.m., Wednesdays at noon, 12, and then Friday mornings at 7.30 in the morning. Make it out to one of those times. I want to pray with you. I want to reach out to everyone in our church. If you have uh, something you want to talk about or processing with or just spend time praying, that's what it's here for. We're here. Our call to be a church. My call to be this church's pastor has not changed one second in this quarantine season. And so come out to one of those calls. It's going to be great. Or all of them. And so today we're going to be taking a little break from Mark. Because last year we skipped ahead and we read the triumphal entry uh, during last year's Palm Sunday. And so this year I wanted to take a break. I wanted to step aside. I also really appreciate how every gospel during this special time in Jesus's life, this really important time in Jesus's life, focuses on different things and brings different things up. And so today we're going to be reading out of Luke. We're going to be reading out of Luke 19. We're going to hear about the Palm Sunday triumphal entry today. And um, we're going to see what Luke's perspective on this day was and how it, how it focuses on something different. I personally love the way that Luke um, brings out certain things from this day that other Gospels just don't in the same way. And so we're going to be reading out of Luke 19, starting at verse 28. And God's word says... 
And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this, on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Please pray with me. So uh, as we heard this word, please pray that the Holy Spirit is with us everywhere that we are, everywhere that we're hearing this, watching this, and um, we'll let the Holy Spirit do the work that uh, only He can do in the reading and in the preaching of His word. And so, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone listening to this, wherever we might be, Lord. Lord, I invite you into this sermon. I invite you into the rooms that everyone is in hearing this. I invite you into our MC calls. I invite you to show us that you are our counselor in ways that will even surprise us. Lord, uh, please be with us on this triumphal entry, Palm Sunday day. Help us to know and to celebrate the victory that we know we have in Christ uh, that started on this day, Lord. We love you and we give you everything we ask for you to be with us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is a really cool passage. Luke has a, has a very distinct way of remembering this day. A lot of the details are the same as the other stories, but a lot of it is also pretty unique. And even if it's just in his focus. You know, let's summarize the story real quick before we move forward. We see that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. He knows what he's walking into. He knows what he's approaching. He's been telling his disciples already multiple times, you know, I'm going to Jerusalem and we're going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to lose his life. And so Jesus is on his way. He knows what's before him, but he does not stop him. And as they're entering, as they're getting close, they're getting to Bethpage and Bethany. He tells two of his disciples, go into this town. There's going to be a colt there, a donkey. No one has ever ridden him. Get him. Talk to the people. They'll be fine. Give him to me. Bring him back. You know, this is the 
fulfillment of the Zechariah 9 prophecy that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then so they do that. They bring him the colt of the donkey. And then they put him on. They put their cloaks on the donkey. And as Jesus is going down, his disciples start to put their cloaks on the floor in front of the donkey. And then we get this cool picture. You know, a lot of the times we just assume that it was Jesus and the twelve. But most of the time, maybe even all the time, um, there's a whole multitude of disciples around them. That Jesus is so famous at this point. He's so well known that so many people love him and have dedicated their lives. That there's just multitude going wherever Jesus is going. And they start worshiping him. They start saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in the other accounts, we see that they say, Hosanna. They put out palm leaves and they, they do a couple of other things to celebrate Jesus. And we see that this this public display of the worship that Jesus always deserved. And on this day where he starts marching towards his death, he quite literally starts marching towards his death, he finally rightfully gets the praise he deserves. And then as he's doing this, as he's going into Jerusalem, he looks over the city. He looks over the city that God promised to live in that his that he told them build a house for me and my presence will be there he looks over the city and he starts to cry he starts to cry because they miss their opportunity because they don't have the peace that they were supposed to have and that also jerusalem will be destroyed uh, we'll talk all, all about that soon um but i loved how uh, pastor john piper frames um, how he views the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday day. He says that it's a day of great contrast, of great contrast. That, and I love that because in Jesus, there's always things that, he, that seem to be contrasting and somehow Jesus is both. How is he the lion and how is he the lamb? It's crazy to think about. But then it's even with the people, even with the response, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is a day of great contrast. In it, he says that it's a day of great error and a a day of great insight. It's error in that in just a few days, an innocent man will be killed. It's a day of great error in that he wasn't just the man, but that he was the Messiah. He was the Word of God. He was the Christ, and he was going to be killed. You know, it's a a day of great error that this man was going to be stripped, that he was stripped naked, that he was going to be beaten, humiliated, spat on, and then eventually killed in a criminal's death. You know, it's a day of error in that God's rescue plan, that God, the culmination of all his redemptive work, would have been killed and slain. You know, it's a day of great error in all of that. Now, if you grew up and you um, aren't aware of the church calendar on this holy week, which I wasn't growing up, Thursday is this special day. It's called Monday Thursday, and it's a day of great mourning. And on that day, I encourage you to mourn after the loss of our Christ, to mourn what we all did to him, what you and I most likely would have done to him. Mourn that the world lost our Savior. But it is also a day of great insight because today is a triumphal day. Today is a day for us to celebrate. Today is not a sad day quite yet. We know that we will be sad in a couple of days. But today we celebrate that our king got the praise he deserved. You know, one of the things that I love about our CMA is that we center our theology around 
that Christ is four things. That Jesus, as these four things, holds everything up. You know, that Jesus is our healer. We need Jesus to be our healer. Come on. We know today that Jesus needs to be our healer. That Jesus is our Savior. That He is the one who came and died for us and resurrected. And we share a new life because of what He did. That He is our sanctifier. That He's always in this process of making us more holy. Making us more like Him. Not because of our skills or because we're so good. But it's all because of Him. But today we get to celebrate that He is our coming King. That His story did not end on the cross. It did not even end on his resurrection, but that it's com- but that he's coming back. You know, one of the things that we realize in this is that this is his only real public dis- display of people giving him the adoration that he deserves. And the last time that he was ever publicly seen, you know, by everyone, by the multitudes, was him dead on the cross. And so today we celebrate that our Christ is the coming king and that one day he will come back and be vindicated. And that's the hope that we all long for. That's the hope that we put our lives on, that he will come back one day and he'll make everything right. You know, today we celebrate that. We celebrate the great insight that these people saw, this multitude of people saw his love and his service, that he was so dedicated to the Father, that he was so dedicated to us, that he was so full of love and compassion, that he would cry over Jerusalem, that he would die for all of creation. You know, it was a day of great insight, and then they got to see how good this man, God-man, really was. And so let's dive in. Let's dive in head first. And today we're going to be talking about three things. And the first one, we're going to be talking about these contrasts. Today, this is a day of great contrast. And so let's talk about Jesus and Jehu. If you grew up in the church, or if you've been a Christian for even just a couple of Easter's by now, you have heard sermons about the the people, about Hosanna, about the palm branches, and all that is great. But I, I love the perspective that Luke brings into this, and in that he doesn't even mention the palms. He doesn't mention Hosanna, um, but he has he takes a little different approach. He sees different details that the Holy Spirit inspired him to talk about. And that's what really inspires this first point of Je- Jesus and Jehu. Uh, let me read really quick here what they started to do is that when he got on the donkey and he started going down, the disciples put their cloaks on on the donkey, but then they started putting the cloaks uh, on the floor. Here in verse 36 is, And he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And this is such a cool detail because we see that this only happens twice. Only two men in scripture got this treatment, got this adoration. And the first one, well, not the first one chronologically, but... The more important one is Jesus, and then secondly, it's this man named Jehu. Jehu was this man who lived um, long before Jesus, centuries before Jesus, and his story comes about in 2 Kings chapter 9. Jehu is this super interesting character, this super interesting person, who gets a really hard and difficult mission from from God, and uh, let's read about it a little bit. We're going to turn to Second Kings chapter 9. And in this time, before he becomes king, before Jehu is announced king, Elisha sends one of his servants to go and anoint him as king. And he gives him the instructions. Very funny. 
Go, anoint him, bring a flask of oil, anoint his head like all the kings are anointed, and then get out of there. And so this servant goes, he goes out there, he, he pours the oil over his head, he anoints him king, and he gives him this message. This is in Second Kings chapter 9, starting in verse 6. He says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants and the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel, and I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, and the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bear her. Okay, right off the bat. What? Crazy, crazy, crazy. Basically what uh, his mission was is that he had to go and eradicate Ahab's family and Jezebel and all who worship Baal. And right off from this, it, he starts off this crazy mission. You know, the yeah, Elisha's servant does this, he anoints him, and then he gets out of there like he's told. And then the reason why, we, why we're even bringing Jehu up is because of what happens in the same chapter in verse 13. When he goes back to the meeting that he was in, Jehu, he was in this meeting with other army commanders. They ask him, what was that about? And he says this. Siz says that thus, and so he spoke to me saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and pro proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so we see here that uh, this cloak treatment is a very special, it's a very vulnerable, it's a very um, praising gesture. What you do when you're taking your cloak off for someone at the day, what the multitude of his disciples were doing was that they were exposing themselves. They were saying, Lord, I take care of you before I take care of myself. Or even, Lord, I take care of your dignity before I even worry about mine. I'll expose myself to embarrassment. I'll expose myself to the elements. Because I, because you need to be taken care of before me. And it's a sign of submission. It's the sign of God is doing something through you, and I'm going to fall under you. And so then Jehu, gets, after he gets this call, he gets on his horse, and he goes all over the place and does what God says. Crazy mission, crazy mission all over the place. He goes and he goes to where Jezebel is and she's thrown from a window and his horse tramples on her. Super gruesome. And no one is allowed to bury her until all the dogs eat her. Crazy story. He also has to round up all of Ahab's sons. And scripture says that he had 70 sons. And that he had, he went along and killed all of his sons, cut off their heads and left them in fields, did this whole display. And then worst of all, yeah, he even uh, tricked all the worshippers of Baal. He said, Ahab served Baal a little bit, but I will serve him much. And so let's get together. Let's have this festival for him. Let's have the ceremony for Baal. And once everyone's there, once everyone is there worshiping Baal, he tells his own men that they were supposed to kill everyone. And they go in and kill everyone. And he says to his own men, if anyone leave, lets anyone get out of here, I'm going to kill you. That's how radically committed Jehu was. And so yet yeah, one day, let's sit together and let's talk about why he had such a bloody, such a violent, such a 
weird um, mission. One day I would love to talk about that. But for the sake of today, let's Jehu did what God told him to. But what was the problem? What was the contrast in here? Why are we talking about Jehu and Jesus? Both men got this cloak treatment, but what is the difference? What makes Jesus so much better than Jehu? And we see here uh, that the answer really comes in chapter 10. In chapter 10 of 2 Kings, it goes on, and like Kings does with all the kings, it's, it gives them a final grade. Was Jehu a good king or was he a bad king? Was he a good king for God's people, or was he just, did he not live up? And chapter 10 sums up his 28-year reign, and it says basically that he was a bad king. We see that he got a hard mission, a difficult mission, and he did it, and he did it with all the fervor and zeal that he could. But what was the thing? You see, Jehu's story in 2 Kings goes out of its way to say a couple of things. It goes out of its way to say that when he got this calling, he stood up on his war horse. But the problem was that he never left. Here, uh, what Second Kings, what it judges about his life, it says that he was never careful to walk in the law of the Lord with all of his heart. He was never careful enough to get off of his war horse. When Jehu, Jehu approached a couple of his enemies, a couple of the people that God told him to kill, and he kept on getting asked the question of, do you come with peace? It's worded a little differently, but that's basically the question. Are you here in peace? And this is asked of him a couple of times. And we see that scripture is trying to tell us that Jehu, after this, he was never about peace. He never stopped the violence. He never stopped the killing that he was just as oppressive as other kings before him. It says that he didn't turn away from the sins of the king of uh, uh, Jeroboam, I'm sorry. He never stopped the violence. He never stopped the killing. And so if we're talking today about contrast, about how Jesus is different, how if Jehu deserved this cloak treatment, then Jesus deserves it even more because Jesus is the type of king that never even got up on his war horse. You know, the Zechariah 9 prophecy of how the Messiah would come in on a donkey. It is so beautiful and it is so great that Jesus fulfilled it. But the heart behind that is that Jesus is the type of king who is totally meek and totally humble. That though he is the creator of all things, though he is the Messiah and the Christ... And though he is all-powerful and could summon armies of angels, like he says in other points, he never does. He never does that because he is the king who mounts on a mule, on a donkey. He is the king who isn't going to rule out of might, but who's going to rule out of love and out of compassion. And so today we celebrate that our coming king is the king on the donkey, such an animal that will not scare anyone, it's an animal of peace, of labor, and that's exactly the type of Messiah that Jesus was. You know, thank God that Jesus was the type of Savior, that he was the Messiah who ruled and reigned and who lived and ministered to everyone around him through compassion and through mercy. And how much better was his compassion and mercy than any violence or any aggression or any might that Jehu might have had while he was king. Jesus is the better king because 
Though he is all-powerful, he is the king that rides on the donkey. Both men were called king. Both men were called to be kings by God. But Jesus was the better king. And Jesus never chose violence that you and I would have most likely chosen. So I ask you this to finish this, this topic. Who is more worthy of the cloak treatment? I hope today that you realize that Jesus is infinitely more worthy of, of us throwing our cloaks, of us submitting to, than any other king. And so this really leads us to our smallest point of the day, but one thing that I couldn't ignore talking about. And I wanted to talk about the stones. So I want to read, go back to Luke 19 with us really quick, and I wanted to read two verses, 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love this little detail that only Luke has in the Gospels. I love that he includes that the Pharisees were just so irate that people were giving Jesus the worship he deserved. And then here we see another layer of this, of, of this contrast that I love so much, is that Jesus is both divine he, and he is both human. And so let's focus on this divine aspect of this triumphal entry today. The, the Pharisees were just so angry that people were worshiping Jesus. And Jesus said, if these people were silent, even these stones cry out. And I love this because it talks about the appetite that not only humanity has, but this appetite of all creation, that they yearn for things to be put back the way that God intended. That Jesus wasn't just the Savior of you and me, but he was the Savior of all of creation. I, a couple years ago, I've shared this a couple times, I went to Israel and I brought back some of these stones. These stones were the stones that were at the site where Jesus cured the demoniac. Uh, back in... Mark 5, Mark chapter 5. And so I love the idea, and we brought these home because these rocks to me scream out that Jesus was here and that he saved a man from this demoniac, saved the man from this legion of demons, that, he, that these rocks were present at that day, at that site, and these rocks to me scream out that they were eyewitnesses, that Jesus is the Savior of all things. You know, he wasn't just a man, and he wasn't just the most loving man, but he was also the Word of God, and that is just such a beautiful thing. Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, this was his final tool that he used to uh, convert C.S. Lewis. If you've never read about this before, I, I urge you to, because it's actually quite beautiful. Um, but that is, that's the one thing that convinced C.S. Lewis from turning from atheism and believing in Jesus is that we are all built with this appetite. We're all built with this craving to know real beauty, to know deeper things. And each one of us has this place in our hearts and our souls that scream out that this isn't everything, that this isn't okay, that this world isn't whole, that there's something missing into you and to me. And man, if nothing else, I pray that this quarantine season um, exposes that in all of us. And that we are just, this is not okay. This is not how things were always meant to be. That we don't, that this can't be the way God intended everything to be. 
but that this is a broken world and that even the rocks are screaming out for Jesus, that even Jerusalem is screaming out that they need their Savior. Now, I also love that this is a powerful prophecy that Jesus is giving, that in just four decades, Jerusalem would have been destroyed. And so it works on that level, too. It works on the level of Jesus just crying over his people. You know, this is the city that he told them that his presence would dwell in, that God's presence would dwell in. He told them, build the temple for me, and my presence will be here. This will be my home on this earth. And that Jesus... (laughs) is so able perfectly to fill both of those avenues, the divine and the human, that we all just have this yearning, and all of creation shares in this yearning. You know, if we just, if we're honest, and if we take a second, we realize that our hearts just are always looking for more, looking for something else. And I pray that Jesus, you find that Jesus is the thing that your heart is searching for. That we who confess Jesus, we say that that is the thing that all the world is missing. And that when you find Jesus, you're no longer lost. I love that the rocks scream out. And I love that it just shows us a better picture of our dependency for Jesus. I hope on this triumphal entry, our Palm Sunday Sunday, we get to celebrate how incredible Jesus was how he is our savior and that he saved much more than we could even imagine. And so now let's talk about this heart a little bit more and let's talk about Jesus's tears at the end. Let's talk about how humble and how meek and how beautiful our king is. Let's talk about these things. Let's not get past this this sermon here without acknowledging what Jesus's tears meant for you and for me. You know, let's let's look at this moment again really quick. That this is the time where people are worshiping Jesus, where they are putting, submitting themselves to them. They're putting him high above themselves, which is where Jesus naturally supposed to be all the time. That people are cheering for him. They're applauding for him. They're telling him who he really is. And this should be, to you and to me, this would have been like the greatest moments of, other, of our lives. We would have been so happy. We would have been uh, so <laughs> excited about what was happening. And I think for us, tears would be the last thing that would come across our minds. But see, we have a king here who doesn't get intoxicated, who doesn't get carried away, who doesn't, who isn't so self-centered that he just receives this. But what happens to him is that he's walking down here. He's seeing this beautiful thing. He sees Jerusalem, the capital of his people, and he begins to weep. He begins to weep over where they're at. He begins to weep over what they're missing. And to me, this is such a beautiful picture of the life of Jesus Christ. And so many of the themes that he talks about, about how, what Christian living, what living, following Jesus looks like. And it's this idea that we are victoriously suffering. That in this moment, Jesus is victorious. Palm Sunday is a day of victory. But then Jesus starts to cry. And so we see that even in his victory, he's crying. He's crying over the people. One of the things that he says here is that would that you... Even you, and he's talking to Jerusalem, had known on this day the things that make for peace. 
I love this. If I can paraphrase all of all of this story, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps because he knows that they missed their opportunity for peace because it was him. He, they missed so much of their time that they could have spent together and had seen even more incredible things. You know, and to me, the theology that this links up most, the theology that I think humanity has created uh, as the best picture of what this triumphal entry Sunday is, is what I like to call the theology of soccer. The theology of the real football, let me say that. See, soccer is the world sport, and I think it's because um, it's so beautifully linked to theology. It's so beautifully linked to our suffering king. See, in soccer, a lot of Americans don't like soccer because they don't understand it or because they say there's not enough scoring. But the beauty in soccer is in the drama, is in the wrestling, is in the changing of possessions. It's in that you only get to suffer a couple of times. You only get to uh, have success a couple of times. See, soccer is so beautiful because it so perfectly emulates life. That winning is really hard. That even the best teams don't win all the time. I'm from Brazil and believe me, we are by far the best team. We are always the best team. But even in being the best, I know some will disagree, but you're wrong, I'm sorry. But even in being the best, I don't get to celebrate all the time. And that's exactly what this triumphal entry makes me think of. What Jesus' tears, this adoration and his tears just make me think about is that is the reality of living here, is that we suffer all the time and that life here is not the way that God intended it to be. You know, I'm convinced that Jesus, looking over Jerusalem, was weeping, not because it was their last opportunity to accept him. No, we believe that that opportunity is still there to, to this very day. It's not that it was their last opportunity. But it's that Jesus was saying, I've been alive, I've been with you for 30-something years, and we missed our opportunity. You missed your visitation. That in a couple of days, you're going to be putting the truth to death. And this day, we just remember that Jesus was triumphant, marching towards his death, marching towards what he knew people would do, marching towards the pain that he would suffer, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain, his messiahship pain. All of this was before him, but he knew that he was triumphant today, that though he would suffer tomorrow, though that he would suffer maybe in a couple of hours, that he was still victorious. And that is what we are all called to do this Sunday, every Sunday of our life. But we are called to especially know that today. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate our King and that he was strong enough to be humble, that he was strong enough to go towards his death, but that even in the process that he cried, that he so loved you and me, that he so loved the world, even before we knew him, he so loved us that he was willing to die for us. That he was willing to be the king that we needed even though it meant that he would suffer. You know, on this Palm Sunday, let us celebrate how good Jesus is. Because he, though he had all power, though he had all authority, though he could have worked any way out, um, 
he could have redeemed creation any way that he ever wanted to, but that God intentionally chose to suffer and to die for us, to be the sacrificial lamb for us. Jesus deserves our praise every day. Jesus deserves for us to be shouting. He deserves this kind of treatment. He deserves our cloaks and our hosannas and our proclamations and our palm branches every day. You know, I have a slight confession to make. This is the first Palm Sunday where this truth has really sunk into my heart. This is the first Palm Sunday that um, has really meant a lot to me. Usually working for the church and usually just in my growing up, okay, Easter is the big thing. This is another Sunday. But no, the fact that we get to be in triumph with Jesus today that he knew death was coming, but he still knew he would be victorious. And that we share in that every day and that we go out in the world and we suffer like Christ because we are so devoted for him. That is so beautiful and that is the mission that we are all called to. And so let me just conclude with a couple of things. Let me just conclude to try and wrap up the, these contrasts that we're talking about. You know, then the first one is to remind us that we are called to suffer for Christ in this world. I think this season and in the corona quarantine era that we live in, where we don't see the end, I think it's been a good reminder for us. You know, we pray for those who are suffering, and we want to be a part of healing our city. But we also, for our own hearts and our own minds, it's a call that we are called to suffer with people, to serve them so that they can know Christ. You know, God gave us a whole genre in scripture, lamenting genre, a whole genre for us to be able to experience pain, to be able to experience like, God, why is this happening? To be able to experience not having the answers. I read a great article this week about how we still, we believe in Christ, but we don't have the answers because sometimes we just need to suffer and grieve through things. Jesus is redeeming this. God is redeeming this. We'll talk about that at the end. It's one of our prompts. But we, in the meantime, we are called to suffer and to suffer well. Read Lamentations. Read Job. Read Ecclesiastes. Read the Psalms that don't end in happy places. You can Google that. I Googled that this week. Let's connect with our Lord in the ways that we experience the suffer, even though we are triumphant we suffer in this world. You know, I read this great um, quote from a pastor out in Texas, and he said, by death, Jesus defeats death. And it's just such a powerful reminder to me that Jesus suffered to end all suffering. And what a call that we have that we can experience some suffering so that people know who their coming king is. But... Let's not end there because remember the other side of this contrast is that today is a day of victory. Today is a day where we share in Christ's victory. And so remember that Palm Sunday that today we celebrate Jesus. I might have said this a million times already, but we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the good things that he's done. We celebrate that he is the light of the world. In a couple of days, we will mourn that that light is going to be put out. But today is a party. Today, we are victorious with Christ. 
And so let me give you a couple of prompts for you to go into your MC call, for you to go in with your spouse or for you to go with your family or friends, whatever, just some questions to help you navigate this season that we continue to find ourselves in. All right, so before we really go into these prompts, I just wanted to say a last goodbye. I love you guys. I miss you guys. Welcome to our City Life Corporate Kitchen Headquarters in my kitchen. If you've been here once, you know that our kitchen window is the only window that gets light in our whole apartment, and so welcome into our kitchen. But here are our prompts for the day. The first one is, in what ways do you look to Jesus to be the wrong kind of Savior? You know, we talk about how all the people around him wanted to be a political leader, a political king, a financial king, a whatever king. What areas in your life have you thought that God would reign over and you experience suffering and you don't know why that is? Is it because you're making Jesus the wrong type of king? Wrestle through that one this week because uh, that's, that's an important one on Easter Sunday for us to know. Prompt number two simple question a lot of implications how are we called to suffer with god while we share in his victory in this week when we know that we're headed towards a sad day how are we still sharing his victory how would we share in his victory when we know that life will take more than it gives how are we victorious in christ every day in every season of our life whether it's a good or a pleasant season or a hard season. Prompt number three comes out of a call that our district superintendent Kelvin gave out this week in a video. He read from Isaiah 43, two verses, and I'll read it real quick. Verses 18 and 19 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In this season where we're going through Easter Sunday, Palm Sunday, the Holy Week in this unique time in the world's history, how is God redeeming this in your life and in the world around us? You know, what new things is, is God doing in your life? What new things is he doing in our church's life? that give us hope for the future. So the the question is, what new things is God doing in your life in this quarantine season? I know that every single one of us is carrying some type of burden or some type of discomfort, uncomfort. And so let's tap that, let's process that time because God is doing something new in your life and he's doing something in my life and he's creating rivers where there once were deserts. And so let's spend some time on our MCs discussing three these three things so guys we love you i'm so grateful to be able to get a word out somehow to all of you join me on the prayer calls continue to be giving so that we can be generous towards our city our call to be a church no virus in the world touches that and so let's continue to serve one another and our city i love you guys and i cannot wait for us to be together or for you to join me on one of our prayer calls thank you guys have a great palm sunday